Welcome to Curious Church Podcast. We've returned. Do you know what, Matt? You know what I need to do? What? I need to have, you know how all good radio... It's funny that radio is still like the standard for talk mediums of recorded talking. Radio's ancient history. In fact, I think among many generations, podcasts are also ancient history. Well, that's we're or just, just something old dinosaurs. people do. <laughs> a couple dinos wallowing in the, wallowing in the tar pits. No, I know for a fact that for older people, podcasts still feel like I don't know how that works. So there's like about a decade of a generation that are all about podcasts. Hey, if, if you're one of those older people and you're listening to us right now, you did something right. You did something right. Um, yeah, the, the kids are all about YouTube and stuff these days, aren't they? YouTube, yeah, that's what we need. But what I was going to say, and YouTube, this is, branding is an issue with YouTube too, but I need to have branding in my welcome. I think I change it up too much, you know? I need oh. like to have it be one way. One way. Not welcome to, and then next time, welcome to, and then oh, welcome to. Yeah. One option is just to record it once, and then you just pop in that clip oh, every I time, like this. so you never have to think about it again. <laughs> <laughs> one thing checked off the list. <laughs> But yeah, no, I hear what you're saying because people hear the music, and then they hear your voice, and they're like, "Wait a second, who is this?" Builds, yeah, like, right. Is this is this happy Aaron? Is this sad Aaron? <laughs> like, what what am I even getting? It could be all over the place. But we are well. Sorry, we have returned. We have returned, the... and we're you know it's been a little while, but that doesn't matter. When we're here, we're here. That's right. And uh, here is where we are now. So, and you're here with us. And we think that's great. So put that seatbelt on now. Put it, yes. If you listen to the teaser, put that seatbelt on, mm-hmm. hop in your car. We promised you a reminder. Get ready for a drive. Yeah. Um, Not like multiple hours or anything. Yeah, but... we prefer if it was an electric vehicle because that's better for the environment. <laughs> so if you drive a gas guzzler, go back inside, go to your chair where you listen to your podcasts. <laughs> just don't and drive. And just sit there. Just don't drive. <laughs> oh. Well, we're not alone today, Matt. We're not. Um, and neither we tease, are you. We tease a very special we guest. We tease a very special guest. And we deliver when we tease. <clears throat> the teasing has come to an end. It's all Teasing over. time is over. Because we have, in the third chair today, a, a person of intellect. And wit. And wit. Uh, Generosity gener- of spirit. Mm, uh, um, Musical talent. You're on a roll. Um, you're stealing all mine. Uh, humor. Oh, you said wit already. I did say wit. Humor. Uh, expansiveness of spirit. Is that like generosity of spirit? <laughs> Musical capacity. Is that different than ability? That's okay. Well, anyway, here she is. Here she is. The Ms. Jana Dykeis. Welcome, Jana. Thanks so much. I don't think I've ever said your last name. I think that's correct, though, is it? Yeah, Dykeis. Dykeis. It's a tricky one. Was that a lucky Don't guess? ask me to spell it. <laughs> no, it's a it's a uh, educated educated guess based on pronunciations of other names I've seen that are similar. Yeah. Oh well, well done. Yeah, thank you. Um, we... So, Jana, welcome. Thanks so much to Curious Church. Yeah, fun to be here. You say that now. It's early yeah. early times, Jana. Because yeah. we actually signed you. We signed you on for the next three episodes. So for our full journey through Beekner's The Remarkable Ordinary hmm. and. Um, we're hoping you don't regret that in about five minutes. <laughs> yeah, my seatbelt's on. I'm not going anywhere, so. <laughs> yeah, in Jana's case, the doors are locked, so. Should we describe a little bit of Jana's role here for the local Granite Springs folks? Well, maybe Jana should do that. I think so, She'll too. do it better than any of us. Yeah. Yeah, introduce... 
many people have met you, but yep. Aaron and I never want to assume that our fans are not far afield. Mm. So mm-hmm. it's really possible that anyone is listening to us. So maybe you can explain a little bit about what you do here. Sure. Um, my official title is Director of Community Engagement. So that is kind of a catch-all title for a lot of different things, including communication, social media, um, connecting with our community partners, um, doing some of the worship things, and um, also in conjunction with that, uh, working with... Uh, the arts here and uh, reclaiming beauty and um, kind of dabbling in um, any sort of thing. You say art, then comes my name. <laughs> That's that would have been say a Jana. You say art, Jana. Art, Jana. Art. <laughs> Wait, it was the opposite. She said you say art, then you. So it's more like this. Okay, I say art, you say Jana. Art, Jana. Art, Jana. Okay, now we got it. Well, that's quite a smooth. But, it doesn't work quite yeah. the same. Oh well, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Um, I teased a story in our teaser because yeah. a teaser is for teasing. Yep. Yeah. Anyone who misunderstood that, go back and listen. You'll find it's all just a tease. Janet, did you know to, wi- to what I referred? I certainly did. Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> well, you can help expand the story, but I will tell my recollection of it. Very. Can early, you review what you're about to tell us yeah. is an interesting story about whether or not Jana has been on the podcast before. Is yes, that, true? that is that is true. Okay. Um, so, because I said it was questionable to describe yeah. her as having never been on yeah. the podcast. Because yeah. once upon a time, Jana was an intern here at Granite Springs. Mm. And that summer, the Curious Church podcast was in the womb, so to speak. <laughs> it was uh, growing, but no one was quite sure how it would look mm. yet. Yeah. And that summer... Questionable there, parents. There were two... Epic, very questionable parents. <laughs> and that summer, there were two... I, I hesitate to call them episodes, but two okay. experiments. Attempts. Two experimental recordings yeah. that were done. One, yeah. both with interns at the time. This These are is, the lost we episodes. We cruelly subjected them. Yes. Uh, and we recorded one episode with a gentleman named Chan. <laughs> Shout out to Chan. We know you listen. Does he really? No, I, I, oh, probably not. But Probably. I, I like to think maybe. It's possible. And then one of those episodes was with Jana. Hmm. Sure was. Where did we record that episode, Janet? Do you remember? I think it was in Aaron's living room. Was it in? Yeah. Was that one in Aaron's living room? <laughs> so we welcomed you over, had a hospitable setting, and then those were the lost episodes. Yeah, they I think were never released. They were never released. I think the reflection was nothing on our guests, but that we didn't know what we were doing, right? And that the conversation ended up being through no fault of Janet's. Let's be very clear, or Chan's. They fell kind of flat, probably because of Aaron, Sam, and myself. Probably. But honestly, if we're being really frank, because of Sam, probably. <laughs> so he's not here to defend I like himself. This. I like this. So so they never they never made the podcast. <laughs> so you have sat and you've recorded an entire episode, but mm. this is the first time people get to hear your wonderful voice. So Indeed. It is time. Yeah. I just want to know, Jenna, how much bitterness have you harbored in your heart over the years? Well, the fact that I remembered it. (laughs) (laughs) Jenna knew exactly to what I referred. Other than that, I mean, I think I can count on my hands how many podcasts I had listened to up to that point, so I wasn't terribly offended. (laughs) That was funny. I think this is recoverable. I think we can pull out of the stall with a great episode today that will certainly be released yes yeah oh, here's hoping yeah <laughs> be, be, we got bigner to carry us here yeah so. that's true that's true well shall we dive in i think so a little bit 
Listener, you know, if you listen to the teaser, if not, we're going to do three episodes looking at Frederick Buechner's book, The Remarkable Ordinary. Um, Aaron mentioned uh, in our last little teaser episode that Buechner is a pretty influential voice for you kind of in college. This is my first encounter with Buechner. I'm familiar with the name. I'd never read anything by him, but he just passed away this past August of uh, August 15th in 2022, which kind of put him on the radar. And as we were thinking about people, possible people to engage with, I said, Aaron, what about Beekner? But Jenna, did you have familiarity with Beekner? Is, is he a favorite of yours? Is this a first time or somewhere in between? Oh, well, I remember struggling reading his last name, but I think that's about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Heard, yeah, heard some quotes and uh, heard him referenced a lot, but I don't think I've ever sat down and read him. So this is the first time that I've really dived in. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. So we got a couple of newbies and a longtime Beekner lover. Yeah. Um, we can dive into the content of chapter one and two in a minute, but if there's any impressions kind of overall about his writing or style or what the experience of returning to him is like, Aaron, like, does this feel like sitting down with a long lost friend? Um, yeah, just kind of, cause I, I actually found, I was surprised by my reading that that's, that's okay. I'll leave that as a teaser. Oh yeah. I would like to hear about that. Yeah. I've, I've, I've always found his writing style really, um, conversational and it kind of pushes, yeah. um, you can tell there's so much going on like under the hood in terms of his intellect, but he, um, just speaks in such a frank and disarming manner that I find it really approachable. Um, so it's almost, to me, there's almost like a poetry mm. in his writing, even when it's prose. So like, I just, I just open to a random page and he'll do like, he'll do things with language too, which I think are interesting. He'll talk about, <laughs> Um, he's talking about a work of art. I was so caught up in it, the shimmeringness of it, the unrepeatableness of it, the unverbalizableness of it. Like he's mm. making up these words, but then when he says it, you like know exactly what he means. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, well, that's uh, great. so I've always liked that about his writing. Janet? Yeah. As as I was reading him, it kind of feels like he just thinks on paper. Uh, that's a good way, that's <laughs> a good way to put it. You know, yeah. it's, it's a little bit stream of consciousness, but oh, yeah. it's also like very packed with wisdom and, and metaphor. And like Aaron was saying, the, the richness of how he plays with the language is really interesting, but it's also very approachable. Yeah. Um, is kind of the sense that I got. Yeah, that's so good. I, I really thought, yeah, he's very disarming. Um, I, you know, in preparation for these conversations, I usually try to outline kind of the chapters and he's almost, almost impossible to outline, especially further on in the book. Right. Right. His first two chapters are a little bit more structured, but then he's very much a storyteller, you can tell, mm -hmm. and it kind of like stream of consciousness is a great way to describe it because right. it's kind of like this thought leads just into this thought. Yeah. Uh, and he's got this uh, thing he does and he does this pretty often, which I just loved. Um, here's an example from page 27. Whatever Mozart is saying, there's a phrase in Mozart that I hear in everything I've ever heard of him, almost a plaintive little la-da-da-da. The poignance of time, maybe. I don't know. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> that I don't know pops up actually quite a bit uh, in this book. And it's so disarming. It's like, if you're going to if you're gonna try to come at him yeah. with anything, he yeah. can just be like, well, like, yeah, you're probably, I don't know. Yeah, you're probably right. Well, he I'm, I'm going to piggyback on that a little bit. I'll just go back a page to 26 because he starts um, he does like both of these things kind of in one sentence, um, which is to say he does this disarming thing. And then suddenly you like get a little bit of a gut punch for me. Anyway, it was mm -hmm. where he says, um, 
he's done kind of talking about visual art and he's starting to talk about music. And then he says, and then music, whatever music is, I don't really know what music is. It's sound. But it seems to me the medium of music is basically time, whereas the medium of, medium of painting is space. I was like, holy cow, I never thought of um, visual art versus music in terms of time and space. That totally makes sense to me. Yeah. Maybe you all were like, oh, yeah, I think about that all the time. But, like, it's just this little piece of wisdom, like, uh-huh. wrapped in this, like, really disarming sort of humble, I don't know. So yeah. That's what I like about him. That feels like a great kind of jumping off place to actually start talking about these two chapters. So, you know, th- there's so much that he touches on throughout this book, as I'm sure we will talk about. But uh, we've, tr- I've at least tried to give our conversations a little bit of structure and some thematic structure. And one of the themes that I'm hoping we can return to our, in our conversations is listening for God mm-hmm. and what it means to listen for God and how Beekner can help us listen for God. Um, but these first, the first two chapters are very much about kind of paying attention, uh, which hopefully we can see and talk about the ways that that's connected to listening for God. Mm-hmm. But the place he starts is with the arts. So Aaron, leading into what you were saying and talks about the different kinds of art. And one of my questions is, you know, he makes this, he talks about music and I was like, well, I'm going to be sitting with two musicians. So I have to ask mm. if the way he talks about music as kind of inviting people to stop and pay attention to time actually is the way he talks about it at one point. Right. Uh, if that resonated with you, if there's, you know, this is the place where we can have wild arguments with Beekner. He's uh, not here to defend himself. So, um, but I was curious if as musicians, it was like, oh yeah, that, that resonates. That makes sense. That seems to be exactly what I'm doing when I'm listening with music or playing music. Like I'm stopping and paying attention to time passing. I think that's I think that's true, um, and it's almost not. I mean, there's a lot of sound and music that washes over us in modern society. So, just like there's a lot of visual art and de- and design and things that wash over us. Um, yeah, I think music. I'd never. I hadn't thought about music as I'm paying attention to time. Yeah. It's more like I'm just gonna leave time for a minute because when I it'll be like however many minutes later that I come out, but I'm gonna go to a place where time sort of doesn't matter any like or is irrelevant it's almost you go to a you go, you're going to a place where time is measured differently than in seconds it's measured in mm. like sound uh changing tempos and um legatos and harmonies that can pass the time differently in different ways yeah i, I think he follows that up talking about chronos time versus kairos time yeah. and this is kind of a you might have heard some of these um Greek words before but yeah one is very chronological right like you're talking about tempo or the passing of time like it's very marked the other is much more like qualitative right not quantitative qualitative mm-hmm. and I I think for me as a musician it's kind of that both and right like you were saying Aaron we are marking time but then you almost lose it as well because you're so present in the moment you're so grounded or wrapped up in that that um, you're keeping time in a new way i love how he says um later like this is a new way of thinking about keeping time with music and you're keeping in touch with the sadness of your own time with the joy of time with the marvelousness of time with the terror of time with the emptiness of time with the fullness of time so all of that's wrapped up it's not just seconds passing yeah it's just being present in that moment um, and having it framed 
Maybe, and we should maybe back up just a little bit because what he's talking about, and we're hoping re- readers that you've been able to get a hold of the book by now, but if not, he's talking about the importance of uh, paying attention. So how to stop, like, so he ends chapter right. one, I think in a sense, um, that is what biblical faith is saying. He's saying what our faith says almost before it says anything else is stop and look and listen. So this is... He's inviting us to pay attention to the world around us, right? Um, and he's starting with the arts, but I think we'll we'll get uh, to some other interesting places later too. All our comments are but a tease for later comments <laughs> to be made. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, one of the things I was interested and in was curious about picking your brains about the music piece mm-hmm. is because he talks about art as um, framing. You just used that word. Uh, framing the a thing for us and it helps us pay attention in other words mm. uh, so uh, one of his early examples is literary and talking about a haiku how a haiku is helping you helping point to a frog and say it's not just a frog jumping out like look at the frog and pay attention to the frog and he then talks about sort of um visual art and paintings doing kind of similar things mm-hmm. what i was kind of curious about is with music he's doing something a little bit different because uh, with painting and with uh, the written word, there is content to which the gaze is being directed. Uh, but then when he talks about music, he talks about it, it's a paying attention to time, like the very medium in which it's being done. So mm-hmm. he doesn't say painting is inviting you to pay attention to the oils and the watercolors. Uh, mm-hmm. It's inviting you to pay attention to the person that it's depicting or whatever it's depicting. Mm-hmm. But then with music, it's doing actually just like something... Diff- slightly different the invitation he's he's not changing the invitation but that's where i was like and i guess there's different kinds of songs right when we think about worship music uh which you both engage in a lot too <laughs> like there's clearly content which is like and there's direction there right. Right. Um, but he kind of highlights this other aspect of music so i bet he would say though if you looking at visual art you're right he does focus on uh he asks us to pay attention to the artwork itself but if you are an experienced painter you might find you might find something in the oils used, in the technique used, in the sure. brush strokes used, where that I, as as not a visual artist, would not appreciate. So I think that in some ways, um, it's all part of the like the process of stopping and looking and paying attention, whether you know what's going on with the technique and behind the scenes, or whether you're just appreciating the thing for the thing. Um, I would say probably all art is. Uh, giving us that gift and giving us that invitation. Right. I think there's so many layers to it that reminds me of an essay I read a long time ago called Two Views of a River. And I was basically saying it was this guy who was, I don't know, a riverboat man (laughs) 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 down the ferry. I don't know. He um, ran the ferry and he was... Yes, a boatman. There we go. Um, and just said that authoritatively. (laughs) I don't know that's a thing. I'm going with it. Anyway, um how most people look at the river and they see it and it's just beautiful. And then this guy, he knows all the ins and outs of it. He knows where it's shallow. He knows where there might be a sandbar. He knows all of he this. He can like read it. Right. Yeah. And does that make it more beautiful to him because he knows it? Or does it take away from, like there's mm. the layers there too. Or 
Um, he compares it with a doctor too. You know, if you look at a person, you can say, oh, wow, they're beautiful. But if you're a doctor, are you going, all right, we're checking muscles, bones, all this stuff, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Which is a weird way to look at it. But I mm. think with art and music, there can be a lot of layers there too. Well, there's a work of art that I know well that is my wife. And so someone could say, just seeing her for the first time, <laughs> sorry if you're listening, friend. <laughs> <laughs> Someone could see her and not know her and think, oh, that person's beautiful, and they can appreciate her beauty. I'm not going to make any apologies for describing my wife as beautiful. Don't. But I know her really well, and, like, I know, oh, I should have made, I should have made, it. <laughs> I should turn this around so I was the example. No, please continue. <laughs> please continue. But, like, any relation, any any healthy marriage, you see those person's foibles, too, you know, all the, you know, all their imperfections, and in some ways that is almost making that person more beautiful to you, I think, in a healthy relationship. Not Now, my wife doesn't have any of these particular <laughs> issues, oh. but... Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I think what you guys are saying is completely right, right? I mean, and one of the disarming things about Beekner is uh, he's making nothing so definitive that you are ever making an argument against him and I mean that in a winsome, positive way. Like some people are slippery and he's not being deliberately slippery. I think he's, his writing opens up the possibilities of, yeah, you can have a conversation like this uh, and these things yeah. to be true and that there's multiple, <clears throat> kind of multiple layers. I, I, one of the things I appreciate about the difference in music that he's drawing, and partly is because he's dealing with classical music. So with, and he's talking specifically in that context where there aren't lyrics, mm-hmm. um, but that it does highlight the layers and the like it expands i think the invitation to pay attention uh as as we listen one of the things one of my other questions about it was art on the one hand it's a very obvious place to talk about paying attention Mm -hmm. on the other hand for a lot of people art especially the things he's talking about like haikus poetry Mm -hmm. uh painting uh classical music is very sort of inaccessible or sort of feels like it operates at a higher plane. Like you got to go to a museum for this Yeah, you got to go to a museum and you probably need a docent to explain some things to you. Uh, Like, well, maybe there's a question about why Beekner starts with art instead of sort of just look out your window and look at the squirrel running and like, you know, that kind of meditation. Right. Um, But then another question is like, is he suggesting something about the analogy to paying attention to what God is doing by starting in the place of art. Right. Because art is an easy entryway into appreciating a thing because it's in a lot of cases created just to be appreciated. We'll say more about that. Uh, That's all I have to say about that. (laughs) And this isn't about faith necessarily, but Henry James said, a writer is someone on whom nothing is lost. Yeah, I think that's the role of a lot of writers and artists is, like Beekner was saying, basically to point to something and say, pay attention to it, right? They tell us what to see in a lot of ways, or they tell us what to pay attention to. Mm. I remember walking around as a kid and holding up my fingers in like a like a frame, you know, like I'm framing this picture or this picture Mm -hmm. um, as I'm looking out on things or hiking. And it's the type of thing where when you go on a hike, so much is gorgeous. But if someone takes a camera with them and they capture certain moments, they're saying, look at this. This is valuable. This is worth stopping for. This is worth being in the moment for or being present with. And I think a lot of art um, or writing does that is just saying, 
hey, check this out. Like, take a moment, pause, stop, look, listen, like he's saying, um, and appreciate it. They're kind of telling you what to look for. So just to push push back a little bit, not push back on the statement, but to push a little bit back to my question is, I like, I get that, and that seems totally true. Mm-hmm. And yet there's so many of us, and I'll include myself, this Philistine in this seat as one of these people <laughs> who, like, I could look at a photograph and just be like, I guess that's a nice lake. Sure. Hmm. Or, like, here's um, an abstract painting, and I look at it like, I guess that's a nice red, and they splattered some yellow in it. <laughs> cool. Next painting. <laughs> like, you know, like, it's, I, I find it really interesting. He starts with art, because art for many of us is, like, inaccessible and for artists sometimes like it can hold this like you know the behind the scenes or there's a mystery and wonder to it and you appreciate what someone else might be doing and you're kind of willing to sit with it but uh for other people i think sometimes it's like i got no idea what's going on there so that doesn't mean anything like you can think about Mm -hmm. criticisms sometimes of paintings like they get to sell that for a million dollars it's just blue (laughs) or whatever you know (laughs) So I don't, yeah, does the, the question kind of make sense? Like, I'm just curious that he uses that as such a strong starting place into this paying attention when actually for a lot of people, they go to a museum of like modern art and it, it, nothing holds their attention, right? right? Nothing mm-hmm. kind of stops them. Um, and like part, I don't know if he's doing this intentionally, but like, as I've thought about what it means to listen for God, I'm struck by, I'm struck by the fact that there is a submission to like engaging right that that is required like it's not it's not in other words art is different than a neon sign saying enter here you know what i mean like it's not just um you don't get your hand held all the way through the piece there you in some sense have to say okay i'm willing to sit with this piece of music i'm willing to listen to it a number of times i'm willing to enter the space the best space to hear at the concert hall or whatever the case might be um, and it feels like maybe there's something there to listening for God, too. I don't know. What do you guys think? I think that what you're saying, uh, there's a lot of truth to that in that um, this willingness yeah. um, to stop and to slow down and yeah. to, like, spend time with things um, is very countercultural. Like, mm. we, whether it's with art or with faith, taking that time and building it in as a practice um, or a discipline is... Something that's, you know, not our default. I know the fact that I had to sit in a lot of classes and learn how to listen to music um, gives me a much more rich experience for it, right? Um, And it's the willingness to sit down and take that time. Um, Even with faith, too, I know I'm not always great at, you know, sitting down and doing my daily devotions or something, but it's that practice that leads to the richness and makes it a little bit easier. So I think... Beekner kind of uses that and says, this is something of value. Yeah. Let's, let's start practicing this together. Um, yeah. Let's start putting in the time and the effort because it doesn't just come immediately, right? It takes mm-hmm. time to sit with and to see your story reflected. And the more you do it, the more pieces and schema you have connected, like more connection points you have. Yeah. Um, but it does take time. Mm. I find that really helpful, Jana. I, that seems... There's one way to talk about paying attention that's just like, look at that. And then there's a way of talking about paying attention that's 
uh, the way that you just talked about. Like it's a discipline. Like mm -hmm. you're going to have to work at it. And um, I sound, and it's more than just a second glance, right. in other words. And I think that's really helpful because when it comes to like paying attention to what God's doing, a second glance is not necessarily going to be enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, uh, he tells this story. This is moving into chapter two a little bit. Um, but he tells a story about a Christmas Eve where he was supposed to be caring, I think, for his neighbor's sheep. Is that right? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, this Christmas Eve where he's supposed to be caring for his neighbor's sheep. And uh, they've been hanging out with fa his family. And then he realizes late at night that he's forgotten the sheep. <laughs> and so <laughs> he he and his brother go trudging down uh, to the barn and, you know, get the hay bales and all that. And he says, and there was the smell of the hay and the bumbling of the sheep and the dim light and the snow falling outside. And it was Christmas Eve. And only then did I realize where I was. Being a minister trained me to notice things, but it was only then that I noticed the manger, though I might not have noticed it at all. And it seems to me the world is a manger, the whole bloody mess of it, where God is being born again and again and again and again and again and again. You've got your mind on so many other things. You are so busy with this and that. You don't see it. You don't notice it. Um, and I think there... Part of the invitation to pay attention in art is built on the assumption that the art will yield something, hmm. uh, will like there is something behind it to pay attention to, whether it's the intent or the piece itself that it is worthwhile to sit with in some way, right? Um, and I think in this chapter, in chapter two, Bigner kind of expands that out to say the whole world, <laughs> the whole world is a manger, like the whole world is worth sitting with right. in some way. Right. Um, but even the trained minister doesn't notice it every time, which I, I find kind of comforting, frankly. So yeah, as a trained minister, as a trained minister, <laughs> that's right. I think I was thinking also, uh, more about what you said, Jana, about how it's easy to say, well, just notice, stop all the time, notice every, everything all the time. Um, but that's a sort of impractical way to live your life too. Like I could, like you could spend, mm. I could spend an hour just in this you know regular sized office and notice how you know the wood in the shelves is bowing a little bit and i could say oh isn't it isn't it like isn't your collection of books uh look look what does it say about him that they're arranged uh you know chronologically by publishing date aaron's um, looking at my books just for the record <laughs> Looking at Matt's books, <laughs> oh, or I could appreciate the the tangled mess of cables here that all comes together to form like something potentially interesting, which mm -hmm. is this podcast. Uh, uh, but it's sort of like, what's what are you look for? Like, look for things to to strike you. Like, be open to letting things maybe snag your attention mm -hmm. a little bit. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think balancing so. and that, openingness, openness with intentionality. Yeah, too. I think that's right because I think there is a lot of value in spending a lot of time with thing something and listening to it and uh, appreciating it, and that might take you know hours and hours or days or a lifetime or whatever. Mm. I that's so good. Here's just a quote to piggyback on exactly what you're saying. Um, he says. You have to choose who to listen to because if you listen to everybody and you look at everybody, 
seeing every face the way Rembrandt saw that woman's face. That's something he references in chapter one, the attention that Rembrandt pays to this woman. How could you make it down half a city block? You couldn't. <laughs> right. If you listen to what everybody says to you, how could you survive a day? Uh, but then he has this line, but we can do more than we do. More than we do. Surely we could do that. Um, like you probably shouldn't spend an hour sitting in my office mm, looking around. Like there are other <laughs> things to pay attention to. Uh, but we can do more than we But we can, can do more. I, I kind of love that framing, right? Yeah, yeah. I had that underlined too. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for endorsing my quote, Janet. That Anytime. I feel you want me now. to tell you I have the rest of the book underlined too? <laughs> <laughs> um, so how do we like and we, we, we can be like Beekner here in a in a sense of wandering rather than mm. prescribing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I get the paying attention, but how do we how do we pay attention to God? in our world around us? Like how, how do we see not just a manger everywhere, but through the manger mm. in other words? Cause it seems like we probably all encountered people who, um, who do this in a, uh, somewhat trite way, right? Like, Oh, that's a God thing. <laughs> mm, yeah. Like, Oh, thank God. That's a God thing. Yeah. Um, and there can be a beautiful sincerity to that in a way of seeing, but it feels like Beekner's calling us maybe to something different than just proclaiming, you know, um, God behind every bush, even while acknowledging he's behind every bush. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, so how do, how do we, how do we engage with this? It's a discipline. I found that language help, really helpful, Jana. Um, but as we move through our days, practically with so much in our minds, as Beekner talks about, like, what do you guys think? Right. I'm going to contradict myself like Beekner does in a later chapter oh, where he nice. says, you know, I might have said something different earlier. Well, yeah, discipline is part of it. But then he also talks about um, Jesus saying the greatest commandment is loving God and loving neighbors. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And when you love people, you stop and you watch and you wait. And here's his quote um, from page 36. To love God means to pay attention. Be mindful, be open to the possibility that God is with you in ways that, unless you have your eyes open, you may never glimpse. So I think of this when, like, if you are you have a crush on someone or you love someone, then you start paying attention to everything, right? You start mm. studying, you start seeing things everywhere, whether it's, oh, that person ordered the same type of coffee they like, or, oh, they would wear that, or, oh, that's the car they drive. Um, you're starting to pay attention to those things. And I think the more that we fall in love with God, the more we will automatically see those things as well. Mm. Um, and it'll be kind of a blend of, yes, the intentionality and the discipline, but also the openness um, that we were talking about. So, I also had that line underlined. <laughs> so Thanks for endorsing. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think this might, yeah. a- might actually answer your question, Matt. I feel like we didn't answer your question. <laughs> okay, well, go ahead. But, yeah, go for it. I think that what true art and true religion does at its, at its best is put each one of us in touch with that holy part of ourselves, with that source from which art and love comes and from which all good, wise things come, so that we, by virtue of this painting, this poem, this ballet, this piece of music, this scripture, become finally, truly human at last. So that's an interesting thought. Mm. Yeah. One of the things I appreciate is the way that this question of how do we listen for God well is kind of an endless swirl of things, much like Beekner is kind of a, a wonderful deep swirl of different things. On the one hand, you have to have the discipline of paying attention. On the other hand, just like you were saying, Jenna, there's a 
there's kind of the loving gaze that is so much a part of this. There's, in other words, there's no, just like the mystery of art making mm-hmm. is uh, just when you establish the formula, you find a new way to engage mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does seem like there's so much is in the willingness, right? So much is in the willingness to engage your neighbor. Um, you can't love your neighbor without paying attention, but you can also just not love your neighbor, <laughs> right? Uh, so it is kind of the engagement uh, is so often what is asked of us. Um, and it's on the one hand, it feels like a very low bar that God might be asking of us to pay attention and to be willing to engage. On the other hand, I think a lot of us never clear it because <laughs> there's so much else Um that we paid that he gives the he talks about a Princeton study in the first chapter where um, some students are asked to look through a, a hole at a room and they're told to look for where a particular object is and then when they come away from the study then they ask okay did you notice anything else about the room and the room is all lopsided and the ceiling isn't level mm-hmm. and all the students say no because all they're looking at right is uh, the item in the in the room that they were told right. to look for right. and that feels so true of what it's our struggles sometimes to pay attention to right? Uh, and to listen for God is we, we can get tunnel focused on, Oh, well I'm paying attention to this part of my life or this thing, or yeah. I want this to work out such that we miss, we miss everything else that's going on around us. Right. And, and also if we're paying attention to what's going around us, that's sort of the opposite of being like paying attention only to ourselves too. Like if we're going to be, Oh, sure. Um, <laughs> We could, this could be looking out for ourselves only means we're sort of blind to what else is happening around us. So that's something obviously every one of us can work on. Yeah. The, na- the navel gazing <laughs> aspect of us. <laughs> yeah. I, I, or the, just even just the me first, or I've got to get where I've got to go sure. and, uh, which tunes you out to what's happening around you. Fun conversation. Thank you both. Next time we're going to be talking about chapters three through six. Uh, so, which sounds like a lot, but it really, it's, it's quick reading and we get into some stories and some of his story and we're going to be reflecting a little bit on what it means to pay attention to God within our story, what it means to listen to God within uh, a person's story. So I'm excited Mm -hmm. to get to have that conversation with you guys too. Right. Yeah, me too. Looking forward to it. What do you guys think? Beekner? Yay? Nay? I feel sort of responsible for having suggested him. Oh, definitely. I Definitely, yay. Yeah. Okay. I'm on board. Yeah. <laughs> I feel that. I mean, anything that makes you think and allows you to have a conversation for some amount of time. Yes. I, I was going to say 40 yes. minutes, but then I was like, Aaron's going to edit, so it might end up being a cool 10. <laughs> <laughs> I just take out so, all my stuff, yeah, usually. That's right. No, no, it's good. Thanks for pointing us in this direction. Yeah, well, thank you, listeners, for hanging out with us for um, for our first part of Beekner. So keep on reading, and we'll talk more next time. Until then, I'm Aaron. I'm Matt. And I'm Jana. Thanks for being curious with us. Mm-hmm.